Nick, Nick Corvath. Corvath? Um, but as we see here in John chapter 15, in verse 18, we see here Jesus speaking. And he says, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, it says, If we, if ye were of the world, the world would love own. But because not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Many times I judge whether or not if I'm in a difficult time because of my situation. The, the circumstance that I'm in. And I, as we were driving over here this morning, my wife and I were, I was having her read my message um, this, that, that, that uh, just to go over it because it's easier to hear it. Um, I write it and it's like, I'm not, a good, I'm not good at English. Uh, so I need my wife to make sure that I spell words right and uh, I sound okay. And as we were going through it and she said, well, isn't that the definition of circumstance? Uh, at tough times, as if, if our circumstances. I said, yes, it is. But I, I ask you to ponder this for a moment. Ponder the fact that if we look at Scripture and we look at, say, let's just take, let's take Paul, for example. We all know Paul, right? Paul's one of the greatest examples of, of Scripture that's given to us. Uh, a man that's that wrote most of the New Testament, the man that where we get a lot of our doctrine from as Baptists. Think about Paul. Paul goes through his life and he persecutes the church as Saul. God gets a hold of him, has a, a meeting with him, right? On the road to Damascus. At that point in time, what happens? He loses his vision, loses his sight, correct? God gets a hold of Paul's life. That time, Paul then becomes, Saul becomes Paul. Then Paul starts to go on these missions trips. And bad things start to happen to Paul. He gets thrown in prison, he gets shipwrecked, he's beaten. A night and a day, he stays in the deep. Some terrible things happen, right? We would say, circumstance-wise, Paul was in a tough, tough times. But see, the perspective that Paul had, those circumstances did not weigh whether or not it was a tough time or not. You see, I was sharing the other night, last Monday night with our men's group, and a lot of times I know in my circumstances, if I don't agree with my circumstance, my prayer normally is, God, let this thing go away from me. Right? That's normally how I pray. So I, I was thinking the other day, I was praying about this, and I was looking at Scripture, and Paul's sitting there in prison, and all of a sudden, because he's singing and praising God, being in prison, and the doors, there's a great earthquake, Right? The doors fly open. Do you know what Nick would have done? Thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. I shouldn't have been here in the first place. I'm out. Right? I would have been praising Jesus as I skipped out the door. 
Thank you, Lord, for answering our prayer. I was never, I didn't do anything wrong to be here in the first place. But that's how Nick would have responded. You want to know why Nick would have responded that way? Because Nick has a flesh that just overpowers him. But what did Paul do? He stood put. Right? He stayed. And not only that, the testimony that Paul had, all those other prisoners stayed with him. Why? Because he knew, Paul knew that God was going to use him in a mighty way, no matter what circumstance he was in. So church here this morning, my desire as we look at Scripture, my desire is that we can take Scripture and find three ways that we can stand out in difficult times. That we may be able to look and have that mindset that Paul has, where it's not our circumstance. It's us trying to see what God's doing in us and through us. Because if we were to take our life as circumstance comes along and comes and goes, we, we could be pretty miserable people. Listen, church, I don't know where you're at here this morning. I don't know where you are physically. I don't know where you are emotionally. I don't know where you are uh, um, spiritually. But this thing I do know is the God that I serve knows exactly where you're at, knows exactly what you need, and He can fill that void. Amen? So, life can, be, life can be and is difficult. So I present this question to you. How do we stand out in difficult times? Let's pray. God, You are so good. And I praise Your name here this morning for Your goodness. I praise Your name for the mighty hand that You've put upon my life and the life of those that are in this room here this morning. Lord, I praise Your name for this, this ability and this opportunity, Lord, to be here in Whitehall. And to see these young people, these young children stand up and sing songs and get excited about singing hallelujah to You. Lord, this morning, um, these people did not come to hear me. And nothing I can say is going to do anything. It's only by your word. So this morning, God, I ask that you remove me. Take me out of this equation. I pray for the hearts that are here. I pray for the ears that are here and the minds that are here. Lord, that they hear your word. And you can do a mighty work. Lord, we're not here this morning for tradition. We're not here, Lord, for religion. We're here to have a meeting with you. And God, that's what we need. Lord, I need you here this morning. So I pray, Lord, that this time we commend to you, asking you to have your perfect will and way, and that you may be magnified and glorified in our bodies. Lord, we do love you and thank you in your most precious name. Amen. So, why should we want to stand out in difficult times? Several years ago, my wife and I 
uh, wasn't too long after we moved to Montana. We were here about four years, four or five years, and we had a tragedy happen in, in our family. It was a Sunday morning just like this, uh, and uh, we get a knock on our back door. And there is a local pastor there, standing there, and um, a woman named Natalie, and she's holding our daughter, Madison. Well, Madison was uh, spending the night with my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, Mike. Mike's the pastor of of Faith Baptist Church over in Townsend. And uh, they informed us that there there had been an accident. Madison and Joanne were in a car crash. And we didn't know the whole circumstance. We just knew that Joanne was not in a good, good state. And being in law enforcement, I thought I could pull some strings to get the truth out of people. Uh, and so I called my, my undersheriff and I said, hey, listen, shoot me straight, tell me what's going on. And he, he wouldn't shoot me straight. So we showed up at the hospital and it came to our attention that uh, Joanne had passed away in the accident. That was a really hard time for us. We tried to go through the motions. We tried to do some things in our own, own accord. So the best thing we thought we could do is go to Missouri, back to Springfield where we met. And we got involved in a, we, well, we found a real big church. You want to know why we moved to Missouri and why we found a big church? Because it's easy for us to be fly under the radar. It was easy for us to go to church and just go through the motions. It was easy for us to be lost in that big church there in Springfield. We were hurting. We were angry. We had a lot of different emotions going on in our lives. And the easiest way for Nick to to handle life was to hide. But see, I believe... And it doesn't matter what I believe, but I know Scripture tells us that we need to stand out. You see, when I ask the question is, why should we want to stand out in difficult times? Well, one of that is because people are looking for answers. In today's society, there's a lot of people looking for the truth. We don't know what truth is anymore. There's truth out there that you can be whatever you want to be. If you want to be a dog, you want to be a cat, then peace be with you, you're good. But that's not truth. It's not truth that that God's Word is not preserved and and it, it is not perfect. People want to argue these facts. But see, friends, this morning, it is truth that people are looking for answers because in First Peter chapter three verse fifteen, it says, "But sanctify the Lord God in what your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." You see, church people are looking for answers, but they don't want to hear your opinion; they want truth. And how else do we know truth unless we have a walk with God? Not only is it our people are looking for answers, but it's a time for growth. Why should we want to stand out in difficult times? Because it's a time for growth for you and I. 
You see, God puts difficult times in our lives not to make us stronger, but it's to grow in Him. You see, when I got saved, I got the whole Spirit. There wasn't a part that God said, okay, when you get to this mature point, I'll give you some more. You see, when I got saved, God gave me everything, all the love, all the forgiveness, all the Spirit, everything possible, God gave me. I don't have to work for nothing. God gave it to me. And if you're saved here this morning, He did the same thing for you. You see, it's a time for growth. In our difficult times, God is saying, here, lean on me, because this is what, it says, what James says in James chapter 1, in verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire. What's the last two words of that verse? Wanting nothing. You see, if I were to be Paul in that situation, in that jail cell, my want would be get out. That's the flesh side of Nick. I want to get out. You know, jail is not... I, I spent the last four years of my law enforcement career as a captain over the jail in Broadwater County. So jail today is nothing like the jail that Paul was sitting in. So if the doors would have been open to me being in that jail, I would have been all too excited to, to exit quickly. Exit stage left, correct? That's what we want. Because who wants to sit in a cell where more than likely the sewer drained through it? Where, where it was dark and stingy and, and disgusting? And it wasn't that Paul was basking there, but he knew that God had placed him there. And because Paul did not leave, what transpired? Not only did a man come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but his whole family. Why? Because Paul did not exit stage left. You can see on the picture here, you have this gentleman standing out. Standing out in a crowd. And all too often when we're in difficult times or things are not going well for us, we want to blend in with the crowd. But God has called us to stand out because it's a time for, not only is it a time to give answers, but it's a time for growth. And lastly, we're commanded to. We're commanded to stand out. Romans 12.2 says this and very pointedly tells us as, as believers, and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, what? Will of God. Not the will of Nick Corthals, but the will of God. So this morning we know that being in difficult times has a purpose. There's a reason for difficult times. But how do we stand out in difficult times? I'm, I, as I stated earlier, it is a desire to show you through God's Word 
on how we can stand out. Because honestly, you don't know me, I don't know you, you're not going to take my word and say, yeah, his opinion matters. But if I show you through God's word, it doesn't matter if you know me and I know you, we know the Lord and his opinion does matter. Amen? Amen. You know, my word is going to fail. This word is going to stand the test of times. My opinion stinks. My grandpa used to tell me all the time, opinions are like armpits. Everyone has two of them, they stink. He used to tell me that all the time. But what is truth? Thy word is truth. So this morning, we're going to base everything off God's word. Why? Because... It's the only thing that's going to stand the test of time. It's the only thing that matters. And this morning, if people are looking for truth, that's the only place we can go to to find truth. Amen? So the very first step, if you're you're taking notes here this morning, the very first step can be found uh, in Genesis. Genesis, very first book of your Bible, in chapter 5. Bless you. The very first thing we do is we must have a walk with God. If you want to stand out in difficult times, you and I must have a walk with God. The exact phrase, walked with God, is only found three times in Scripture. And they're all in the book of Genesis. God gives us two great examples of men that walked with with God. The very first one we see is Enoch. In Enoch in, in, in Genesis chapter 5, we see in verse 21 and 22, where it says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah three hundred uh, years and begot sons and daughters. We see again in verse 24 where it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So we see, the first time we see this, the first two times we see walked with God in Scripture is dealing with Enoch. And the next one is found in chapter 6. And who's that dealing with? Noah. So turn over uh, a page, or maybe it's on the same page, and we see here uh, Noah in verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. We can see in Scripture that these men were in difficult times. If you actually go back in chapter 6 and read verses 11 through 13, you see that the time that Noah was in was so desperate and was such, was such a terrible time that God was like, what? I'm going to destroy it. I'm destroying this earth. Because of man. You know, when we look at this diff- very difficult time, it could have been easy just to succumb to the norm. 
the social norm. Right? We can, we can be justified by our actions, even if they don't align with God, because I can always use someone else that is in better and worse spiritual condition than me. I can find someone in my church that is not where they should be spiritually, but I can, I can measure myself against them. But see, God has not called us to measure ourselves against man, but He's called us to measure ourselves against this book. So when we look at Scripture, we see this, that Noah and Enoch walked with God, but what does it say about these two men? Well, you just read it, right? That he walked with God. But that's not all they say about Enoch and, 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 and Noah, is it? Think about this for a second. Let's just take a look at Noah's life real quick. You have Noah, who is building a vessel, Right? Now, this isn't a normal fishing vessel. The likes of this vessel have never been seen by the eyes of man before. This vessel spanned 510 feet. It was 85 feet wide and 51 feet tall. It it was almost the size of the Titanic. Not quite, but um, the Titanic was a little larger. Titanic was around 800 feet long. And so when you look at this vessel, there was no need for a vessel of this magnitude in Noah's time. No need for it. But see, think about this for a moment. A lot of times we put into the idea of a difficult time by the situations or what's going on in our lives. Think about all the scrutiny Noah and his family were probably taking by building that vessel. Think about all the terrible things. Because remember, the world was a terrible place at that point in time, right? It's not like they were edifying Noah and his family as they built that ship. They're like, man, that's a nice ship. Oh, you say it's going to rain. Oh, okay. What's rain? You're not too smart, are you, Noah? And then go and talk to his sons. Why are you following your dad? He's kind of lost it. He's like 600 years old right now. Kind of losing it. Probably not the easiest time for him and his family to go through life. But what is it said about Noah? It says that what? And in Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because it says right here, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a what? A just man. Not only was he a just man, but perfect in his generation. Look what it says about um, Enoch in Hebrews chapter 11. This is what the New Testament says about Enoch. In Hebrews chapter 11, We see this, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony. This is the testimony Enoch had. 
that he pleased God. That he pleased God. Not only did these men walk with God, but they had a testimony that stood out in difficult times. Enoch pleased God. So when we have these two men that walked with God because of this action, Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord, and Enoch pleased God. Here's the thing about walking with God. And I I, I took this note down in, in our men's study here this morning. It's not about what we know scripturally. It's about what we do scripturally. You can know all the Bible you want. But unless you're living it, it's doing you no good. It's it's now just become wisdom. And what does the Bible say? The Greeks come after wisdom, the Jews after signs. Church, this morning, this community, the people in your circles, they want to see you, not just know that you have wisdom. They want to see you have wisdom. The church, my church wants to know that I have wisdom by what I do, not just by what I say. It does me no good if I just stand up in front of my children and tell them, do this and do, do that, and then when they see me, I do the opposite thing. It does my family no good not to be, to be a man like that. Look at what it says here in Micah chapter 6. In Micah chapter 6, we are told in verse 8, it says, he, it says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? So we want to know what the Lord requires of us here this morning. Amen? And what does the Lord require of us? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, it's a requirement. It's not, hey, this sounds like a good idea. It's not an option. But this is what Scripture tells us. And what doth the Lord require of thee? Well, Scripture tells us, but to do justly. What was Noah's testimony? That he was a just man? To love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Our Christian walk is not about tradition or religion, but it's about living this book. It's about being intimate with our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord. What it really boils down to here this morning, church, is what James tells us in verse 22 of chapter 1, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But be ye doers. When we take our walk with God serious as it's meant to be as a relationship and not as a genie in the bottle or a scapegoat or as long as, 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 or as like a long distance friend. But it's an intimate relationship. The relationship that I desire to have with my wife. The desire, the relationship that I desire to have with my children. I spend time with them. Why? Because it's important that they know me and and I know them. But there's churches all across the United States that view God as a genie in the bottle. They view God as a distant 
friend that I only need to talk to him when I need something. Church, that's not what God in, 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 had anything intended for us. Look at the very first example of man. And what did God do with man in the cooling of the day with, with Adam? He walked with him. You see, the very first example of a relationship that we see in the Bible between man and God is God walking with man in the cool of the day. It's a relationship. He didn't say, okay, Noah, I mean, Adam, I'm going to place you in this garden and I'm going to go do my thing. You do you. We'll meet sometime. There's no long distance. Just give me a jingle. We'll be okay. Call me up when you need something. No. But even after the fall of man, what was God doing? He was still seeking a relationship with man. You see, church, God wants to have a relationship with us. But that requires us to walk with Him. It doesn't matter how much my wife wants to have a relationship with me. I can give, listen, I did it for 13 years. Oh, work is calling. I got to go in. Oh, got to do this at the office. It's going to be a late night. Oh, got this. I gotta, I'll be gone. And then I come home from a shift and some things happen in my shift. And she says, hey, what happened to your day? Nothing. It was okay. For 13 years, I didn't really involve my wife into my daily life of dealing with law enforcement stuff. And there was things that I was dealing with that just was tearing me apart inside. The cases that I was working, the, the, the notifications of death, all these different things that I was dealing with, and I was keeping my biggest cheerleader, my biggest supporter in the dark because in my mind I was protecting her. You see, God is saying, hey, come to me, ye that are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. You don't need to protect me. I'm here to protect you. You see, church, this morning, the desire for God in us is that we have a relationship with Him. Because look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1, verse 12. The last part of that verse says this, I know whom I believe in, and what? I am persuaded that He is able to keep that which is committed unto Him against that day. I know, I know, Church, do you know here this morning? My prayer here this morning is that you know how much God really wants to spend with you. He's not a genie in the bottle. He's, just, he's not this, this amazing thing out there that we can't really explain, but I know I can pray to Him when I need something. Church, if we really want to stand out in difficult times, we need to walk with God. Secondly, we need to pray. We need to pray. A.W. Tozer said it this way, the key to prayer is simply praying. Pretty simple, yes? I, was, I always look for some profound quote from someone, someone smarter than me. It doesn't take much, but I always look for someone that has something very profound to say. And when I read that quote, I was like, hey, that's profound. Simple but profound. Our prayer life 
is an essential part of our walk with God. It is one of the ways that we communicate with Him, the other being through His Word. It is imperative that our prayer life is deeper than the drive through takeout order. Church, our prayer life cannot just be when we go up to McDonald's and say, hey, I want a number seven, I want a number eight, and two apple pies. But if you were to take a real look at our prayer life here this morning, if I were to take a real look at my prayer life here this morning, how often is, God, I need, I need, I need, I need. How often is it when we go to God in prayer, it's a long, long laundry list of things that, that is affecting our lives. I was challenged here not too long ago to be mindful of praying for others more than I pray for myself. You, you, know, you know the danger of that? I'm gonna, listen, I'm a big advocate of it, but I'm going to share you a danger. So just buckle up, get ready if you're going to do this. You're going to be woken up in the middle of praying. When you're mindful of other people, God wakes you up and lays people on your heart. But I'll tell you this, the more I've been looking outward and praying for other people, the closer I've gotten to not only those people, but I've gotten closer to God. You see, church, God, is, God already knows what we need. He wants to communicate with us. But our prayer life, you know what? It cannot. It has to be unstoppable. Our prayer life has to be unstoppable. A great example of that is Daniel. Everyone knows the story. If you don't know the story, you can look up in Daniel chapter 6, verses 4 through 11. The young children here, I'm sure, know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. What do we know about this story? We know that Daniel prayed to God. Not only do we know that he prayed for God, but he prayed three times a day for God. Nowhere in that chapter does it say, and after each prayer he said, Amen, and then ate. Nowhere does it say that, hey, Daniel prayed in the morning, Amen, dear Lord, bless this food, Amen, and then ate. Lunch, Amen, Lord, bless this lunch, and then ate. You see about this decree that the other presidents and princes put on in Daniel chapter 6? It was, does anyone in here remember how long that decree was going to last? Was it forever? Was it a forever decree? It was a 30-day decree. 30 days. That's it. A month. Well, let's get real. Who likes to be real? I like to be real. There's been times in my life where I have failed to pray for maybe a week. If you look at the story of Daniel in chapter 6, he couldn't even go one day without making prayer and supplication to his God. You see, Daniel's prayer life was unstoppable. Even when he knew that the consequence of praying to God was going to land him in the lion's den. His prayer life was unstoppable. 
Church, this morning, our prayer life has to be unstoppable. We can't let things like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy. My life is going good right now. What do I need to pray about? I, I mean, God is blessing me. And I've not even prayed, so hallelujah, why do I need to pray? You know, a lot of times in my situations, I pray more when things are difficult. But I've learned by the grace of God, it is so much better to pray God all the time. You know what? It's a lot harder to pray to God in difficult times. You want, and, and maybe you don't agree with me, but I, this is what I, why I say this statement. Because when I pray to God in difficult, excuse me, difficult times... I'm asking God to remove something that He has placed there for a purpose. A lot of times I'm asking God to remove that difficult time. But when I pray to God just to pray to God, I've gotten closer to God because it means more. It's not me trying to, to, to ask God to do something that He has obviously done something for a reason. The greatest thing about my life is I'm not God. That is the greatest thing, because I would screw a lot of things up. We see that Daniel could not even go one day. Daniel's prayer life was such an essential part of his daily life, as as if you were to read in verse 10, that he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. This was not something new. It wasn't like he was being defiant to to Nebuchadnezzar. Or or, sorry, wrong one. But he wasn't being defiant to the the king. It was, this is what his life was. And the other um, presidents and the other princes knew that this was Daniel's life. And that's why they set up this decree. Because they could not get above Daniel. Daniel was just being Daniel. Daniel was just living his life, and his life was praying to God. You see, friends, here this morning, Daniel is a great example of how our prayer life should be. That it should be so important to us that we'd rather die than go without it. And that's where Daniel was. He was willing to die in the lion's den than to stop praying. Not only should it be unstoppable, but it should be continual. I ask that you look up these verses with me. The very first one is Mark chapter 1, verse 35. The next example we have of our prayer life, and not only should it be unstoppable, but as continual, I couldn't think of a better example to use than Jesus Christ. We're told here in Mark chapter 135, and it said, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into solitary place there and there prayed. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, he says, Jesus again praying, And when he had sent the multitude away, 
he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Then again you see in Luke chapter 6 verse 12. In Luke chapter 6 verse 12 we see again of Jesus praying. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Then let I have to show you here this morning is Luke chapter 5, verse 16. In verse 16 it says, And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and what? Prayed. You see here, my dear friends, we see the greatest example we can have is Jesus. And he prayed and he prayed often. Think about the message in Mark in that we just read in chapter 1 of Mark. Jesus just healed all their sick, all those possessed with devils, and yet he knew the importance and the power of prayer. He just ministered to them. And we see, again, as not only did he just minister to them, he rose up early. It actually says, rising up a great while before day. It wasn't, okay, when I got my eight hours in or six hours or how many hours you like to get to make feel yourself refreshed. Jesus knew that the next day that was coming, He would need the power to complete His Father's work. So He rose up before a great while before day to not only accomplish strength and, and refreshment, but the gift of and the commune with His Father. You see, church, this morning, Jesus woke up early just to have a talk with His dad. Jesus woke up early, why? Because He knew that tough days were coming ahead. We, we see this again in, in, in Matthew, right after He fed the 5,000 in in. in, in He sends His disciples away. And then not only does He send His disciples away, but He sends the multitude away. And then what's He do? He goes off and prays. How many people, by a show of hands, have put in a long, hard day's work? Okay? Hopefully, everybody. If not, good for you. Um, But what do we like to do after a long, hard day's work? I like to rest. I remember the long hours, my shift would get extended and, and I'd be there for 12, 15 hours. And honestly, I would like to sit down in my recliner with a bowl of cereal and ESPN. And I, 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 I don't want no one bothering me. I'm unplugging. It's me and normally it was my bowl of Wheaties and ESPN. That's what I did. For years, I'd come home from shift, sit down when I worked night shift, and I'd eat my Wheaties and watch ESPN. You know what that didn't do for me? It did not strengthen me for the trials and tribulations that I was going to face. I became pretty self-focused. But what did Jesus do? After a long, hard day, 
he got alone with God. After a day of meeting everyone's needs, everyone else's needs, he thought it important enough to get alone with God and pray. You see, church, not only should our, our prayer life be unstoppable, but it needs to be continual. Jesus gives us a clear example of how our life, prayer life should be continual. Jesus took his prayer life uh, time to be rejuvenated and re- to be refreshed. We do not see whether it was where it was the drive-through aff- uh, uh, approach. Actually, we don't see much. We are given examples of how he prayed. But see, church, this morning it is he knew the importance of prayer. He knew that it had to be continual. Because as he told his, his Mary and Joseph, is he has to be about his father's business. And church, you and I need to be about our father's business. So lastly, how do we stand out in difficult times? Well, we need to be bold. Not only do we need to walk with God, and not only do we need to be praying, but we need to be bold. You see this picture here, this gentleman is in red. Or whatever, this, not even a stick person. This guy here is in red. Makes it easy to stand out, yes? I mean, I'm colorblind and I can even tell that that's red and that's a guy. Or a, a person, right? Standing out. It's bold. He's not sitting in a, a color that's close to everybody else. He is out there. You can see him as clear as day. Paul was bold in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. And it said, he says this, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Nothing I shall be ashamed. But that with all boldness... As always, so now also Christ shall be what? Magnified in my body. Whether it be by life or by death. You see, that's, that right there shows us the example of how to be bold. Because whether we live or we die, are we pointing people to Jesus Christ? You know, throughout the 20 plus years of ministry, I've been to a lot of funerals. And there's been some funerals I've gone to where the, what was said about the person was the good. But the people that really knew the person was like, wait a second, I didn't get to know that guy. My biggest fear throughout my life as I had grown away from God, was that if I were to die, that people wouldn't know that I really loved and served God. And there'd be a a small gathering at my funeral of people saying, man, you really didn't know that guy, did you? You see, my life, when God saved me, I became a new creature. And even though there was times in my life where Nick wanted to do the things Nick wanted to do, I always knew that God wanted me to do more for him and less for me. 
So church here this morning, we see Paul's statement here very clear, and it says, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Christ. Paul's name is not mentioned here. The only name that you see, you see Caleb in Numbers chapter 13, in verse 30, and Caleb still, still, for Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. We know what's going on here. If you don't, look at Numbers chapter 13, that chapter. We know that these are the spies that went in to, to look at the promised land. And Caleb is the only one, one, of, the, one of two that came back with a good report. And all these other Spies are saying, listen, there's giants there. There's cities that, are, that, are, that have, have walls around them, walled cities. There's so many things that, they're bigger than us. They're, they're in great number. They, they, they outnumber us. They're going to destroy us. And Caleb's like, hey, shut your mouth. God told us it's ours. Let's go get it. You see, it could have been very easy to take a back, step back and just let all those other people give their, give their testimony of what they've seen. But what did Caleb do? He stepped forward and said, listen, be quiet. Moses, you know, I know, we can possess this land. Let's go right now. Church, let me ask, let me ask you to think about this for a second. Think about the, the day you got saved. Think about that emotion, that excitement. I remember when I got saved as a freshman in high school, and I literally wanted to charge hell with a squirt gun. I was excited. I was telling everybody, listen, I grew up in church. I grew up in Awanas. I earned all my little crowns with my jewels. I did all that. But because it was religion to me, and it wasn't real to me, all I was doing was memorizing Scripture. I wasn't living it. But it wasn't until I got saved as a freshman in high school, and God got a hold of my life, and I became a new creature, did I want to charge hell with that squirt gun. Why? Because the land is already there. God already promised Israel that land. It was theirs. They just had to go and possess it. You see, church, Caleb stood bold. And the last example is Joshua. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. And we know Joshua's uh, dealing with Israel, and Israel is kind of like me as a Christian, Christians today. Man, we are, we're like what James talks about. Double-binded man is unstable in all of, his, all of his ways, right? I'm, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, wait a second. What, Jesus, why would you, God, why would you do that? Oh, man, I love God. Thank you. Thank you for whatever. Oh, man, God, why would you do that? I mean, maybe you guys are a lot better Christians than I am. But, man, my flesh, if I, if I do not crucify my flesh daily, it is a beast. It's a beast. But look at what Joshua says in the midst of all this stuff going on with the Israelites. And I always love this, honestly. 
Guys, if you're not in your Bible reading it every day, you don't get these cool stories. And they're not cool, they're not stories. This is really what happened. We get so used to hearing the word Bible story, but think about it. This is truth. This is really what happened. This is exciting to me. Why? Because he gets a little sarcastic. I love it. He says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you'll serve. This is where he gets sarcastic. Honestly, guys, read your Bible. This stuff is great. It says, Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the what? Oh, yeah. Are they around anymore? They kind of died in the flood, right? Not only that, look at this. Or the gods of the Amorites. Whose, whose land did they go and possess? Amorites, right? Like, their gods stood up for them. They did a great job, right? And what's he say? In whose land ye dwell. It's like Joshua's like, come on. Listen, I know I'm slow. I'm not that slow. We're literally dwelling in the land of the Amorites. And, and, and the gods of the Amorites are what you want to serve? But this is where the boldness comes in. Because what does he say? But as for me and my whole house. Now, I just added the whole, okay? But he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, church, here this morning, Joshua, he was, he was sarcastic, but he had a great point. He had a great point. So many times we look at what this world has to offer and we think it's good. But the truth is, the only good that I know is God. Only good. Oh, wait a second. I don't know. My bank account's pretty good. My health, it's good. My job, it's good. I'm going to give this last testimony and, and we'll close. Here, uh, three years ago, I was at work. I, I was, we were in Coeur d'Alene two years ago. Coeur d'Alene. And... Uh, it was the first time in my wife and I's life that we had just submitted ourselves to doing what God wanted us to do. My, my wife, Janae, had a very good job in, in Townsend. She's working for the, the, the clerk, the um, district court. Um, we, 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 were, we were having a very comfortable life. And um, I finally knew that because I knew what God wanted me to do. I knew God wanted Janae and I in the ministry, serving Him, that when we met in college. So we went on a, on a, on a vacation, just the two of us, and on our way home, to, and we were talking, to the ki- uh, talking on our way to go pick up our kids, I said, Janae, I, I'm go- I, we, we need to be in the ministry. God has just laid this on our heart. So I went back to school, I, I was doing some correspondence courses, and we were just open to what, whatever God wanted us to do. So God uh, opened the door, and all of a sudden we get a phone call from one of uh, the pastors that we knew over there. And uh, Pastor Kurt calls and said, hey Nick, would you and Janaea consider coming over and working in our, in our ministry? I can't pay you anything, but we would really love it if you and Janaea would just come and be part of our ministry over here. So Janae and I just 
we just started praying about it. We started taking trips. We, we had taken trips over to Coeur d'Alene a lot uh, just to go shopping. And it's beautiful. If you've never been there, it's a beautiful place. And uh, it was kind of our oasis away from um, Townsend. It was like we would just go over there. And we started going over there a couple times. And lo and behold, we went over there Easter Sunday. And Pastor Kurt took me over to one of the gentlemen he's been witnessing to. And he owns... Um, Eight gas stations. They're called Jiffy Stops over there in Courtney Lane. And uh, Kurt said, hey, uh, Del, you have a job for Nick here at the ranch? Because he not only does he own gas stations, but he does cow and hay and all this other stuff. He goes, no, but my grandson needs a maintenance man. You guys don't know me, so you don't find that funny. But uh, the truth of the matter is, is I'm not a maintenance man. And I told him, I said, Mr. Dell, I said, I would give you a full day's work, but I, I know nothing about maintenance. And he goes, oh, it's simple. You just install toilets, fix toilets, whatever. I'm like, uh, again, I'm not a maintenance man, but I would give you a full day's work. He calls up his grandson. He's talking. I, I can't hear what he's saying. And he gets off the phone. And he said, you need to go down there and talk with my grandson. He's waiting for to do a job interview with you. So, listen, church, I'm in shorts and a T-shirt. I've never gone to a job interview in shorts and a T-shirt. It's just not been, that's not how I was raised. I walk in there, and Justin, and Justin is his grandson, and he's 20, he, at that time, he was, I think, 28 years old, just a young man. And he takes me back into his office, and, and I, I uh, didn't have a resume. I had nothing. And he goes, okay, well, the job's yours. And I'm like, wait a second. First of all, I'm not a maintenance man. Second of all, I'm not even talking to my wife. And third of all, we don't even have a place to live. He goes, this is what I want you to do. He said, the job is yours. When you get back to Townsend, please email me your resume, and we'll go from there. So we get back, I email my resume. And I knew that God was, was working in us. Remember, God was working in my life to be more for God. Less for Nick, more for God. He calls me and he said, Nick, you're right. You, your, your resume, I'm like, yeah, I can build a resume. Uh, uh, he said, you're, you're, you're not qualified. You're overqualified for this job. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start you at a dollar more an hour. And we have a place for you to move into. And I told my wife, I said, we're moving to Coeur d'Alene. God was moving us. So I was there two years, and I'm out working one day, and mostly because of me, I got underneath a bucket on a skidster. And that bucket crushed me. With every ounce of everything in me, it had about 300 pounds of sand inside the bucket, and somehow the hydraulic got locked down, and it was literally driving me into the ground. And all I had, the only person that was there helping me was a sophomore in high school. And I was, at the time, I was lifting a lot of weights. I was benching, I was in the gym a lot. I, I, so in my mind, as I was sitting there, I thought I could just 
squatted up. So I pressed with all my might, and all I felt was everything popping and cracking, and, and then a big rush of hot water rushed through my whole body. And somehow I got, as it, the bucket crushed me, it, I was laid flat. And it was sitting there pressing me down into the dirt. And the only thing that transpired, it was by God's hand. Our delivery man showed up and him and this teenager were able to grab me by my feet and pull me out from underneath the bucket. So I'm sitting there on the ground and I'm like, oh, that really hurt. But I'm okay to drive myself to the hospital. And so they lean me against a sandbag and they're like, uh, we're going to call the ambulance. I'm like, listen, A, I'm not paying for the ambulance. B, I'm okay. I'm all right. And when I moved, it was that moment that I knew something was terribly wrong. Ambulance comes and they hook me up and um, put me on the gurney and... Uh, they're wheeling me over the ambulance. Well, there was a big pothole they didn't see, and they almost dropped me. So it was literally like I'm lay, laying on the gurney like this, and the chief comes over, pushes me over, get me on the ambulance, and like, okay, we're going to start an RV, IV. They start an IV, and I, they're like, do you want pain meds? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. We're there two minutes, and I'm like, hey, can I change my mind? I'm in a tremendous amount of pain. They get me to the ER, and I'm there. All of a sudden, my wife shows up. Because I don't, I don't remember the drive. Whatever they gave me was amazing. And I asked them to give me more because when I got to the hospital, they stopped giving me whatever they had. And I, that pain just started continuing to, just to grow and grow and grow. They send me out to test. They send me all these things. And by the grace of God, I didn't break one bone. Now, I tore everything. Everything was popped apart. Everything was smashed. And I had about, I had a, almost two whole years of physical therapy. But I didn't break a bone. I, you want to know why I share that story with you? Because Janae and I felt that we were doing what God wanted us to do. And I could have looked at that situation being crushed by that skidster as, God, why would you do this? I'm doing your work. I was going to work not knowing anything about maintenance, and I just wanted to be a testimony to my boss and the people I worked with. I felt like I was doing what God wanted me to do. But you know what? Man can get in the way of what, what we think God wants us to do. So church this morning, if we want to stand out in the midst of a crowd, it has to be less of us. And it has to be more about God. Joshua knew that. As he stood there before his, God's people, he wanted to let him, them know that he was going to serve the Lord. And not only was he going to serve the Lord, but his family was going to serve the Lord. Church, as we close here this morning, it's imperative that we stand out in difficult times. It's imperative. Because people are looking for answers. It's a growing time for you and I. Friends, it, it is an opportunity for us to magnify God. So, 
I ask that you stand up with your head bowed and your eyes closed as Levi comes comes and plays songs. Sorry, I'm good with names too. Uh, I don't, as I said here this morning, I don't know where you're at this morning. But I do know that God is able and He desires for us to walk with Him, pray to Him, and be bold in Him. Paul makes this statement at the end of the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Then he says this, if you're going to pray for something for me, pray this. This is my prayer for you this morning. Pray for the prayer for me. That the utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That is Paul's prayer here this morning. Church, is that your prayer? That you can stand out in the difficult times. Do we desire this morning to stand? If so, then we need to be walking with God. If so, we need to be praying to God. And if so, we need to be bold in God. We need to be doers of the Word. And this morning, if you're not saved here this morning, God desires that this is the day that you become a new creature. He's already sent His Son for you. Jesus has already died on the cross. Your sins are forgiven the moment that you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior here this morning, today is the day. We're told in the Old Testament, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. I know there's people in this church I'd love to show you on how to be saved. So please, come forward. Seek someone out. But don't leave this place wondering. Today is the day for salvation. What is God doing in you here this morning? We have His Word. What are you doing with His Word?